Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. If you're new today, our series is Power Today. It's from the book of Acts. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 4. Just by way of review, quickly, without much introduction, uh, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple to pray. It's something they do regularly. As they do, they meet a man who's over 40 years old, has been lame since birth. He's looking for them to give him some money so that he can support himself off their offerings. Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He grabs the man's hand, and it's as he pulls him up that the man is healed. The man is leaping, he's dancing, he's, he's jumping up and down in the courts of the temple. And, and so a crowd gathers around Peter, and as they gather around, Peter preaches a very powerful sermon. It's a powerful sermon that talks about Jesus, about the fact they crucified him, about the fact God raised him from the dead, the fact that there's power in his name. 5,000 men are saved besides women and children. And immediately... The Jewish authorities are upset. They arrest Peter and John. They bring them before the Jewish ruling council. They're interrogated, and they are warned not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Let's pick it up, Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let me remind you, it's in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name. Jesus said, you ask anything in my name and I will do it. And with that, what I want to do is I want to give you, as we look at this passage and the verses that follow, four marks of the church that God blesses. Four things about that church that caused God to set his hand on the church. You know, today we can talk a lot about church health and what churches need, but the fact of the matter is what we really, the answer is, is very much provided to us in the Bible. All we need to do is read the Bible and do what they did in the Bible. And when you look at the book of Acts, you find that, that there were four marks, at least in this passage, of a church that God blesses. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, prayer. The first mark of a church that God blesses is it's a church that prays. God blesses any church that will pray. We've seen that at James River. There's no other way to explain the things we've talked about, the salvations, the baptisms, the healings, the, the missions giving. All that is happening is the result of you praying. 
I mean, I can tell you, I could take you to a graph and show you and, and we could see James River and, and see God's blessing on it before we started the prayer meeting. But in January, 1998, we started the prayer meeting. And from that moment on, salvations, there were more baptisms, there were more Holy Spirit baptisms. There, were, there was more of everything you want to name happening in the church. That's not accidental. That's not the result of, of somebody being a clever leader and putting together a clever team. Hey, I praise God for the talent of our team. But what we're witnessing here is something that is bigger than any person or group of people. It is the hand of God moving in response to the cry of his people who have called on him in prayer. The most important service of the week is the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Because if we do the hard work of prayer, then the rest of life is, is just simply picking up the results of it. If you and I will seek God as a church, as we continue to pray, we're going to see more than we've ever seen before. We're going to see things that are going to absolutely blow your mind. You, 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 we have no idea the best is yet to come in every possible way as you and I seek the Lord and pray. God blesses the church that prays. I'm, I'm just, hear my heart on this. There's some who say, well, you know, I'm too busy or it's hard to get there. I get all of that. I'm simply saying that if you will come, you'll watch God do things in your heart and in the church that will absolutely amaze you. He works in the church. He works in the lives of people and he changes things. The woman who was healed with multiple myeloma, she was here on a Wednesday night. There are some things that happen when the church prays that will not happen any other way. God will do things in your life. He'll do things in the church that would not happen any other way. The most important thing we can do is to pray because it's through prayer that God energizes us to go forth with a power that's not our own. It's through prayer that God multiplies our efforts and makes them more effective than they would have been otherwise. It's through prayer that we get the favor of God on our life that results in that kind of activity of God in our life. Acts chapter four, we read this in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They hear that they've been warned not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. What is their first response? We're gonna pray. What's interesting is Peter and John are the ones who are threatened. Peter and John could have said, you know what? We just need to go home and pray. We just go home and have our prayer time. But no, they go to the church. Listen, it's important to have our own personal time with the Lord. Every follower of Christ should have that. But that cannot replace the church gathering together to pray because there are some things that only happen when the church prays together. It was a corporate prayer that they prayed. They all gather together and they pray. You see this in the book of Acts and, and maybe one of the most striking examples of the power of prayer to change an outcome when the church prays is Acts chapter 12. Look at this. I want to show you this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. 
He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. We don't read anything about the church's response in that. Sometimes people make the mistake of saying, well, God's will be done. That's not true. Some things only happen if we pray. God's will is not automatic. Say, well, it must have been God's time for James to go. We don't know that. In fact, I would suggest that the Bible is making a case that when the church responded differently, the outcome was different. Look at this. Then they saw, when he saw this please the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the rest of the story is how God miraculously set him free. You see, there are some things that happen when the church prays. And the early church is a church that prayed. I mean, they, they were born in a prayer meeting. They devoted themselves to prayer. When everything was going well, they prayed in Acts chapter 3. And when they were being persecuted, they prayed. They prayed all the time. As they're praying, I want you to notice as well, it's a biblically centered prayer. It's good for us to develop our ability to pray and to talk to God. On the one hand, I'm careful to mention this because I don't want to complicate prayer in people who's in the understanding of people who are new to this. Listen, prayer is talking to God. And God help me is a great prayer if you're in trouble. But as we grow in our understanding of who the Lord is, how he works and what his word says, then our prayers begin to reflect that. And what it does, it begins to build our faith as we pray. As we learn to pray according to the word of God, as we begin to pray the promises of God, as we begin to pray about and mentioning the, the character of God, the nature of God. In fact, in Psalm 100 and verse four, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So when you come before God, you're thanking him. Thanksgiving's what he's done. Praise is who he is. And as I begin to praise him, as I begin to recite to him, Lord, you're, you're majestic. You are sovereign. You're the God who's in control of everything. You're the God for whom nothing is too difficult. You created the earth, the, the heavens, by your word. As I start to say that, God gets big, my problem gets little, my faith grows strong. Do you follow me? There's a real value to this. Look at it in Acts 4.24, Sovereign Lord. They said, you made the, they said, you made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. And then they go on to pray and they say, this is what your word said. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They, they understand correctly that's what's happening in the situation, that it hasn't caught God by surprise, shouldn't catch them by surprise. It was prophesied in the word, but again, it gives them this confidence, God, none of this caught you by surprise. God, you know what's going on. And they're quoting Psalm Chapter two, verses one and two. It was a courageous prayer. I love this, verse 29. Now, the Lord consider their threats. You know what a lot of people would pray? Now, Lord, you've heard their threats and, and Jesus just keep us safe. But they're not praying, Lord, keep us safe. 
They're not praying, Lord, make the problem go away. You, you see, there's more to life. Does, can God make our problems go away? Certainly, and sometimes in his grace and goodness, he does, but sometimes we're praying for the wrong thing. We're asking God to make the problem go away when God's wanting to give us power to show his glory in the problem. He doesn't want the problem to go away. He wants his glory to be revealed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're telling him not to speak, and they're saying, God, give us boldness to speak. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. They're telling him, don't do any more in the name of Jesus. No more miracles. And they're saying, no, God, double the miracles, triple the miracles. Do more than you've ever done before. Through, again, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Jesus, help us to speak like you spoke, to do what you did. Help us to keep moving the gospel ministry forward. It's a courageous prayer. And then it's a life-changing prayer. Look at it, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. What's that sound like? The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The place where they were praying was shaken. They've experienced that before. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, I thought they were filled in Acts chapter 2. They were. But listen, the idea is that you and I need to be constantly, continually being filled full of the Holy Spirit. The problem is we leak. He fills you up and by the next day, it's like the air's gone out of the balloon. It's true. We need God to constantly be pouring into us by his power. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I'd like to just point out a couple of things about this. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. But you have to ask. You know, a lot of Christians never see God do much because they don't ask God to do much. They don't see big things because they don't believe for big things and they don't ask for big things. Another thing that I think when I look at this is prayers are prophetic. Your prayer life determines what, what's going to happen to you. That's just true. I love the longer you, live, you walk with the Lord and the longer you're keeping lists from previous years of things you prayed for, the more exciting it is to go back and to say, wow, do I remember that? And I was thinking, how are we going to make it through that? And how's that going to work out? Only now to have the, the experience of having watched God work and having met us here and done that there and done that there. And you begin to say, wow, this is really amazing. But prayers are prophetic. Show me your prayer list for this year and I'll tell you what's going to happen to you. Some of you have never sat down and made a prayer list. Every year in January, I make a list. I sit down, I make it, I write it out and I keep it. It's on my phone. It's on my iPad. I have it. I refer to it. I look at it. I pray over it. And what's on that list is what happens in my life. 
And God is no respecter of persons. He'll do for you what he'll do for anybody else who seeks him. He'll work in your life to the degree you will believe him to work in your life. He will do the things in your life that you ask him to do in your life. He will take you if you'll prophetically pray, Lord, I'm believing you to do this. Believe that he hears you and believe that he answers. He will do it. What did they ask God for? They asked for boldness. What happened? Verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They asked for miracles. They said, oh God, do signs and wonders. Watch what we're going to see in Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Acts 3, it's one miracle. A lame man's healed. Acts 5, they've prayed. They're full of the Spirit. And now the one has become many. As I'm just telling you, that we're at the beginning of what God is doing in this place. What we're seeing is wonderful. Praise the Lord for it. I'm just telling you, it's just a start. There is a growing momentum. Can anybody agree with that and say amen? I mean, can you see it? It's true. I'm telling you it is. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. You say, why is that? Because when this, what's in him fell on them and they were healed. And crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. Watch this. And all of them were healed. I mean, they prayed, they asked God to do it, and it happened. Word of the wonders. Well, I mean, you're going to read in Acts chapter 5 that angels show up and start opening prison doors and letting them out of prison. I mean, and the authorities come, and they're like, where are they? Where did they go? That's a wonder. Supernatural things happening in the lives of God's people to demonstrate his glory to a world that doesn't know about him, to a world who's never heard of him, to a world who doesn't believe in him. And all of a sudden they're confronted with something they can't explain outside of God. And it opens their heart. Listen, they're praying God's working. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the key to boldness, the key to miracles, the key to signs and wonders is the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I become increasingly passionate about this because the book of Acts is passionate about it. I become increasingly passionate about it because when I talk to people who are much farther along in this than I am, they will all point back to this as the prerequisite, as this as the requirement for seeing God do this. I'm not saying God can't work powerfully in your life if you've not been filled full of the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying he will work more often powerfully in your life if you have. You say, well, I'm spirit-filled, but I don't see those things happening in my life. Then let me just say this in love to you and to challenge you. You're not as full as you ought to be. Because honestly, I think what happens to a lot of people is they stop at speaking in tongues, which is something the Bible never intended. 
They get caught up in tongues, which we would say is the initial physical evidence, instead of getting caught up in power, which is the ultimate evidence. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll receive power. You'll have an ability to do. I mean, they're filled with the Spirit, and that's the result. There's a boldness to speak to anybody, and there is a power to perform signs and wonders that gain a hearing for the gospel. The first mark of a church God blesses is it's a church that prays. I'm just asking you, I'm, I'm, as, as your pastor saying, man, be it Wednesday night at, at Joplin, be it Wednesday night at North Campus, be it Wednesday night at West Campus, be it Wednesday night at every single campus. Let's fill every single seat we have. Let's believe it. And I'm telling you, that's going to happen. It is happening. And when, when it, there's going to come a day, you will not be able to get into the prayer meeting. I'm just telling you, come while you can. Because there's going to come a day, God is visiting this church. I, I, I can't help it. I'm away for two weeks. I think about it. I get testimony after testimony. Debbie and I are sitting on the beach in Hawaii, sorry, while you were having 10 inches of snow. <laughs> we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a move of God. We're talking about what God is doing and what he's going to do and what we fill in our heart as we pray and as we're reading and as we're resting. I just, I just want to encourage you. These are great, great times. Jump in, be a part, watch what God will do in your life. Well, second mark of a church God blesses, unity. Unity. Look at it, verse 32. And all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They were all in one heart and one mind. That one heart, we've talked about that word before, homo thumadon, two words in the Greek, homo meaning the same, thumadon, we get our, our word thermometer from it. They had the same temperature. They had the same passion spiritually. And this is critical when it comes to experiencing God's blessing. They're in one heart, so they have the same passion spiritually, and one mind, it means they're all together in their thinking, in their values. Unity exists when believers think alike, when we value the same things. And I'm not talking about doctrine because we all know you can have people who can sign the same doctrinal statement and not get along with one another. When it says one mind, it's talking about a value system. It's talking about an attitude. There's no gossip. There's no backbiting. There's no selfishness. Everyone moving toward the same objective. Because all of us know of stories of churches that imploded. They got so busy fighting one another, they stopped fighting the devil. And that was the end of the story. There's something about God has given us a supernatural unity from day one, he's knit the hearts of the people together. So all of us are moving forward by his grace into his purpose. And the result is God is, God is moving in power. I mean, let me just say this. And there are some things that I think help. I, I think certainly we have, to, we have to be able to in our heart and our mind 
set aside personal preference for the greater good. You know, there are some things that, that when you're doing life with other people, you just have to learn to overlook. I mean, you know that with your friends. I mean, you know, you have friends and they might do some things that you're like, I don't love that they do that, but they're my friend and I'm gonna be okay. You especially know that if you have a good marriage. I mean, what do they say? You go into marriage with both eyes wide open and then after that, you learn to close one eye. It's true, you know, you, there are just some things that, that you just say, it's not worth getting worked up over. And in the church, that's the way it's got to function. That's the way it works. And then as well, let me just say, I'll give a plug for Grow Track because it's an amazing thing. If you're new, it gives you a sense of where the church has come from. But more than that, how you fit into the church, how God would want to use you, what God could do through you, all kinds of things like that that help unite you with other believers in the church. Life groups, another great way to have unity. Get in a life group and, and do life together and watch what God does. And the result of, of unity is there's an anointing of the Lord that comes on a place and a people. The psalmist says this, how precious it is when brothers dwell together in unity, Psalm 133. And then he says it's like the anointing. It's like when the oil's being poured on Aaron, the high priest, and running on his beard and on his robes. And, and it's like the dew on Mount Hermon. It's like there's freshness, there's vitality. And then verse 3, it says, For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. When people are together in unity, there's going to be a blessing of God. In that sense, I think one of the great challenges, if the enemy's going to stop James River, one of the first places he's going to look is he's going to try to cause disunity in the church. And that's where we have to be wise enough as believers to say, you know what, I'm not going to let a, a disunity, an attitude of disunity, complicate things in the church. I'm not going to go there. I love the church too much. Now, listen, if there's a problem, we want to fix it. Honestly, our view toward problems is this. If you fix problems, you make the church stronger. So I'm not saying don't tell us if there's a problem. Tell us the problem. We want to fix problems. I don't want anybody to be enduring a problem. But if it's a preference, if it's, if it's a little too hot in here or a little too cold in here, Wear a coat or don't bring your coat. But it's not a problem we're going to fix. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't mean it's not that I don't care. We try to pick a happy medium, and I know I'm just about right when I have half the people tell me in the hallway, it's freezing in there, and the other half people say, oh, it's so hot in there. And then I'm like, I've got it perfect. Hey, you don't really do that to me, but it was fun to say. <laughs> powerful preaching, number three, powerful preaching. <laughs> okay. In the book of Acts, what you notice is they're not doing surveys to find out what to preach. They're not preaching felt needs. By that, I mean like, you know, just topical things, trying to hit people where they think they might be. And and there's nothing wrong with that at times. But my personal opinion is this, as a pastor, and it's reflected in the ministry here, so if you've been here very long, you've, you've seen it in action. 
that nothing will transform people's lives like the Word of God rightly divided under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's something very powerful when people hear the Word of God and there's a presence of God on it. It transforms people's life. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, you're transformed through the living and the enduring Word of God. And, and what happens is, as you and I sit under, so I can, it benefits me as well to, to listen to good preaching, to a, more than gifted communicators. There's a lot of gifted communicators, but what I'd really challenge you to do is make sure the people you're listening to, you sense the grace of the Holy Spirit on their life. Because watch what happens here in chapter 4, verse 33, with great power, mega dunamis. Remember, dunamis, power. You'll receive power. The, ver the word is used over 10 times in the book of Acts. It means mighty power, miraculous power, supernatural power. And now it adds great, the word mega. So with mega miraculous power, with mega supernatural power, with mega mighty power. All of those would be a way to understand that. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much, there's the word mega again, Grace was upon them all. Upon who? Upon the people who were listening. The power of the preaching resulted in the empowering of the people. The grace that was on the apostles was resting on the people. This is the effect that biblical preaching that is spirit anointed will have on people who hear it. I mean... The world doesn't understand that. People will say to you, oh, I don't know how you can go and sit there and listen week after week to sermon after sermon. They don't understand it. But let me tell you, Paul told us how they would view it. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What happens is, as you and I sit in the presence of God, we encounter God, he changes us, he empowers us, and we go out of here different than we came in Jesus' name. It's how it works. People that didn't know Jesus, come to know him. People who are away from him, come back to him. People who are discouraged are encouraged. People who are weak in their faith are strengthened in their faith. People who are depressed, they're lifted up. It's, it's the power of being in the presence of the Lord. That powerful preaching. Number four, generosity. And all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. I want you to notice this. It doesn't say, now there were a group of people who were very, very giving and very, very generous, or, you know, a portion of the believers started a ministry to help those in need. There's nothing wrong with those things. But there's something supernatural when God gets a hold of a church and makes them generous. I'm just telling you, one of the marks, when, I, when you look at the missions deal, I mean, as I'm studying this and I know the numbers and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, there you have it. Another sign of God's grace. Not the only sign, another sign. Another mark, another evidence. I praise God for people who have the gift of giving and are 
generous and for things that they do, that's really wonderful and it's an important part of the church. But there's something very supernatural happening in a church when the people of the church with one heart begin to say, you know what, we're going to give to reach the lost. We're going to give to meet needs. We saw at Freedom City Church. I'm telling you, they've not gotten over it. They've not gotten over it. One of the associate pastors, I, I was still in Hawaii, but one of the associate pastors stopped by the church and said, so I was driving by and I just wanted to stop and thank. I wish I'd have been here. I'm sad I wasn't. Because I just wanted to thank Pastor Lindell so he could thank the people for what you did for us because it changed. It changed our church. So thank you. That too was miraculous. If you weren't here that day, it was a day where we just, I said, hey, listen, you've already done season of giving and I'm almost embarrassed to ask you or tell you about this, but here's a need. And I just feel like it'd be great if we could do this for Christmas. And we still had four weeks before Christmas and y'all did it in one day. You bought their church, you paid for it. You also bought their new AC units, $80,000, you paid for it. You also bought a house across the street for women. You paid cash for it. You've helped them in such an exceptional way. It's changed everything. That's, that's what a spirit-empowered church will do. It will change world. Amen. Change the world here. It would change the world in Morocco. It would change the world in Burundi. Change the world in Siberia. We planted a hundred churches there. It would change the world in El Salvador with Kenton Moody and he's buying ground down there. Your giving is, is enabling him to buy land on the, the major highway through El Salvador to build a ministry center, your giving makes that possible. I mean, just there's something amazing about generosity. And I don't, I don't really feel like I need to say much to you other than thank you and God is working. You're the most generous church I've ever seen. What you did for a season of giving, you touched thousands of people. What you did last, the last two weeks in missions and what you did for Freedom City and what you do week after week, you're an amazing, amazing group of people at every campus, online. And I don't need to talk to you about generosity because you're living it. I just want to tell you, I'm so thankful for you. And I just love you. And I want to say thank you for modeling something that makes it in such a way that it makes it completely unnecessary to preach about it. When's the last time you heard a preacher say that? 
You know, some people see a communist system in here and they get the idea, well, you know, church owns everything and they pool everything together. That's not what's happening here. They're meeting in homes. Acts chapter 12, they're still meeting in homes. What's happening is God's moving on people's hearts at different times to do things to meet needs. And we're watching that happen. I mean, people in, in the book of Acts, what they're doing is they're selling assets to help situations where God has laid it on their heart to do that. And I mean, I, I, again, I saw that. I had a couple write me a beautiful letter on the, on the Freedom City Church. They were saving money for a house and, and had come here to retire. And, and they took a substantial portion and gave it to Freedom City Church. I can't wait to see what God's going to do for them because he will. But again, I feel like I'm living the book of Acts. Acts 4 and verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, tells us a lot about Barnabas. He's a key player in the book of Acts. We're going to see him do some pretty incredible things. He's Jewish. He's a Levite, which means he's from the priestly tribe or line of, in Israel. He doesn't, he's not a native of Israel. He lives in Cyprus an island not far from the mainland where Israel is located. And notice his name is Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, but they started calling him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he was such an encourager. I mean, they were just like, man, he's always encouraging people. I want you to think about something, because what he's going to do in a moment is he's going to give a piece of land to the church and they're gonna sell it and use, to, use it to bless people. But one of the things about encouragement is, you know, in generosity, generosity and encouragement go together because when a person's truly generous, it goes beyond just their giving and really is seen regularly in their living. You say, what do you mean? Well, they're generous in the way they talk about other people. They're generous in the way they treat other people. A generous person never does the bare minimum. A generous person says, you know what, I'm gonna add extra to the tip. A generous person says, you know, I'm not just going to be, let my money, my, so if we take the, the server, but I'm gonna encourage them, I'm gonna see them as a person, not just as an employee in that restaurant serving me. I'm gonna to talk to them, I'm gonna engage them. A generous person sees people. A generous person talks highly of people. A generous person shares what they have with others. It's, it's more than, than finances, it's just a way of life and a way of thinking. And we're going to see more about him in the, in the weeks that come and may look at more about him next week. But generosity makes such a difference. But again, you're generous. I don't need to say anything to you. I hope you know. I mean, this is, it's hard for me to know how to close this a little bit because I just am so thankful for you. When I look at this and I think of a church that prays and a church that lets me preach, I don't know that you had a choice in this sense. I mean, here's what I'm thinking. When I came, I sent 
two cassette tapes. Some of you don't know what those are. Look them up online. You'll find out. You can Google it right now, cassette tape. So I, I sent two cassette tapes, and I, I told the leadership, or I, you know, I, they asked me, they said, so you sent us two tapes, and it's pretty much just teaching. And I said, well, I'm going to send you the best messages I've ever preached, because I don't want to have to live up to that. And I pretty much just want to teach the Word of God. And they said to me, and I mean, they're wonderful people. So, but they said, well, you know, we got a question. Do you think Pentecostal people will accept verse by verse teaching? I said, that's a really good question. I said, I don't know whether they will or not. I just know I'm called to do that. And so if you, if you hire, if you hire me, that's what you get. And so they said, well, we'll give it a shot. About a month into it, a guy asked if he could take me out to lunch, and so he came by, picked me up in his truck, and I got in the truck, and he said, well, how you doing? I'm doing good. He said, well, I just need to talk to you a little bit. I was like, sure. He said, you're the worst preacher I've ever heard. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow, praise God. <laughs> I'll try to do better. He's like, no, what I mean is you're not a preacher at all. You're just a teacher. But Y'all have been very kind to me. I'm just saying to you, I'm, I'm thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you for loving the Lord. Thank you for praying. Thank you for loving God's word. Thank you for making this journey on signs and wonders. I know, I know that for some it's, it's, stretching you a little bit and I wish I could tell you where it's going and what it's going to look like but I can't and I know that doesn't comfort you but I know God is moving and I want to thank you for your unity this has been the most unified church I have ever seen anywhere I don't know of any church anywhere that has more unity than we have at James River I'm really really thankful for that Thank you for your generosity. I could say it over and over again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you.